Matthew 18, verses 15 through 17 read, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he doesn't listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen, even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Hello and welcome back to Think This Way. This is the podcast of Faith Bible Church. I am your host, Pastor Bryce, and I have another pastor elder with me. It's Pastor Mike. Do you feel comfortable with that title? Can we call you Pastor Mike? Yeah, I heard, uh, was it Andrew you were talking to? Uh, I think last... I talked about that, yeah, yeah, with him. Yeah, he was like, I don't feel comfortable with that. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, that's, that is what it is in the Bible, yeah. so. It, it just means shepherd, Mike. Yeah, under shepherd, right? Yeah, under oh, yeah. shepherd, shepherd Mike. Well, I call myself a worship pastor. Oh, so, well, there you go, pastor, you know. Well, I have Mike on here with me because <laughs> he texts me. Oh, yesterday, I guess, because I had sent you the notes previously. And he said, why are you giving me all the controversial <laughs> episodes? <laughs> I was like, this one will get some emails. I'm so excited. <laughs> uh, I guess it is. I hadn't thought of it that way, but I guess it is. Because we're talking about church discipline today. Mm. Our quarterly focus is the local church. And the last couple of episodes, we've been talking about church involvement, church membership. So in a sense, we've been talking about the front door of the church how you get into the church as a member. But we also now need to talk about the back door of the church, how you can get out of the church, be removed from membership through a process called church discipline. I just want to start by... No, walk- I mean, hang on. Oh, yeah, go ahead. So when you say removed from the church, you're not really removed from the congregation, right? They can be present here unless they're extremely divisive or there are other considerations. They're mm-hmm. welcome to still attend the location of the church, that is, the church building. It's yes. good to be under the preaching. What we mean by remove from the local church is remove from membership. Yeah, we're just saying we don't, as of right now, we don't see evidence in your life as a believer, mm-hmm. right? So we would not have an unbeliever as a member of the church. Correct. Yep, yeah, that's exactly but right. Unbelievers are more than welcome to come to church. Yeah, yeah. We're not going to send Andrew and Mike out to escort someone out <laughs> unless there's some major problem. Good thing you sent me with Andrew because he's going he's gonna to need my That's muscle. why I gave you Andrew. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I just want to walk through the process in Matthew 18 of church discipline because this is actually, although it's unusual to me because Faith Bible Church is all I've known for my whole Christian life. Hmm. And I don't go other churches. All but two years for me, so. Okay, so I mean, this is what I know. And so I look at Matthew 18, and I look at church discipline, and it goes, that makes total sense. But what I hear is that church discipline is not a common practice in churches. And so what we want to do is start here with Matthew 18, where Jesus himself commanded the process of church discipline and just walk through really the four steps that he gives. I already read the text in Matthew 18, 15 through 17. So there's four steps in the church discipline process. Step number one is a private confrontation. Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Don't gossip it to somebody else. Don't bring other people immediately. But this is a private confrontation. And really, this part of church discipline is what happens all the time. And 90% of quote-unquote church discipline 
just stops right here. You go and confront someone because of sin. You show them from scripture. They repent. Hooray. We move on. Of course, it's to be done prayerfully and humbly. But Jesus says, if he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, so there's a second level, if you will, of church discipline. So you go and confront in private and you deal with the issue and you reconcile and you move on. That's most church life. However, if it's a serious sin, you've confronted, there's no repentance for one reason or another. Now we move to step two. If he doesn't listen, step two, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So let's say your brother has sinned against you. He got angry. He cussed you out, said some very hurtful things. Later, when emotions have calmed, you go to him in private, you show him Ephesians 4.29, you say, hey, that was a sin. You know, I love you very much. You know, do you see it this way? He says, either, okay, but I don't care. Or he says, no, there's an exception because this, 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 whatever. Now you've got to confirm that you are right about it being a sin because you could be wrong. You know, maybe he didn't sin. So now we bring, Jesus says, one or two others because every fact has to be established by two or three witnesses. Usually, yeah, usually, when something has moved to this step, the witnesses, not always, it's not required, but usually elders get involved about here. So a lot of times someone will let us elders know if there's an unresolved conflict and we'll be the witnesses who get involved to try to confirm. We'll listen to everybody in a very unbiased way, try to understand what's going on, and we'll either say, well, yes, that is a sin, it needs repentance, you're right, or we'll say, you know, maybe that's not a sin and you were wrong about that. Either way, it gets resolved that way. So that's step number two with the witnesses. Jesus says, though, if he refuses to listen to them, you and the witnesses, step number three, tell it to the church. This is usually what people think of with church discipline, where we bring a sin before the church, providing minimum necessary detail in a members-only meeting. It is not to spread gossip. We just share what's needed to be shared and let people know that these are the steps that have been taken. And you know, I've heard that oftentimes when this happens, uh, people, members who are listening to us, an elder present church discipline before we say who specifically it's about i've heard that there are people who are afraid it's about them you know like is this about me because i'm struggling with this sin let me just relieve everybody who's ever thought that and gonna <laughs> yeah. think that because you will know yeah. you'll know ahead Surprise. of time yeah. <laughs> yeah but i mean i guess you don't know till you know so just yeah. letting you know right now this is a process and even those previous steps take place over time unless there's a reason for it to be expedited probably months, you know, Mm -hmm. of conversations and clear communication. We usually, before we do step three, we'll send a letter letting you know exactly what's going on. So it won't be a surprise. You won't be a surprise by church discipline. Let me just let everybody know about that. (laughs) That would be bad leadership. That would be (laughs) really bad. If you go to a church that does that, that's a red flag. (laughs) That would be very terrifying, actually. So that's step three. We tell it to the church, minimum detail, but we just let everyone know so that they can reach out to the erring brother or sister and encourage them to repent and that's of course restoration the whole goal that's what it's all about jesus provides a fourth step if he refuses to listen even to the church let him be to you as a gentile and a tax collector and so what the way we handle that is we give a month's time from the third step we present it to the body and say in one month's time 
If this brother or sister has not repented of that sin, then they will be removed from membership. So church discipline is complete at that point in the sense of taking the steps that Jesus commanded. We're to regard that person as a Gentile tax collector in our context. It means as a local church, we're saying you could be a believer, but you don't give evidence of it. So we can no longer as a local body point to you and say, this is what a believer looks like. Therefore, you're removed from membership. And you're not allowed to participate, for example, in the Lord's table, which is just for believers. So some people call that excommunication, if you will, just removing a person from membership. Okay, so that's the process. Jesus gave it. We walked through it. I feel like excommunication is a is a bad word to use there because you you want to communicate with that person. You want an unbeliever, you want people pouring into their lives, right, to, to bring them to Christ. So you wouldn't want to actually not communicate with that person. If anything, it would cause hopefully more conversation with that person. But yeah, Probably for that reason and because it was used by the Roman Catholic Church. Yeah. We don't tend to use that word. Although I'm guessing someone would have to look up the etymology. I, I'm guessing it means communion in the sense of like a we're united, yeah, that kind of thing. And you're removed from that. Yeah. yeah, that's my guess. I don't know. You're a wordsmith, so. I don't know. I don't know in that case. Someone will have to look that up. Well, I may be a wordsmith, but you are a godly wise man, Mike, which is why now that we've talked about the process, there are all kinds of questions, and we can't deal with all of them, but I do have a few that I want to run by you. Here's my first one. Church discipline could be a scary idea. It involves authority and even removing someone from membership. Now, this kind of use of power could easily be abused by a church leader who wants to get his own way or maybe to get back at someone, which happened. Medieval Catholic churches that way often happen that way. It happens today still. So my question is, for those who are afraid of that, how does the process that Jesus carefully delineated for us in Matthew 18 protect people from leaders using church discipline in a capricious way? Mm. That's a tough question. <laughs> and it happens all the time. Yeah. I mean, I just, I can think of uh, just an example right now, top of my head, of this lady whose husband was abusing their children. And she brings him to the church, and he has a position in the church, and instead they publicly shame her. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, the whole point of, of, you know, the whole point of the Matthew 18 is bringing those relationships back together, right? Communion with each other. You know, and, and one of our greatest resources we have as believers for restoring relationship is each other, our community. And so the whole point of this is communal. It's supposed to be, you know, First, it's you, you and the person, hopefully after you've already forgiven that person yourself. And then when you're in a good place in your heart, then you go to them and say, hey, you know, this actually happened and it's like, I'm not holding this against you anymore, but I just want to keep you aware of it, you know, so it doesn't happen again. And then if they don't listen, then you're bringing, you know, a brother and sister along with you, you know, you're sharing with them what's happening. And then if they agree, right? So it's like the whole point is, how can we get this relationship restored? Not of like shaming somebody or condemning somebody or, you know what I mean? The whole point is like, man, we are really concerned about what's happening here in your life and we really want you to be restored with the body of Christ. That's what I love in Matthew 18 because each time he says, or at least at the beginning he says, if he listens to you, you've won your brother. Mm. Yeah, so that's the whole point. 
Because if this process wasn't given so carefully in Matthew 18, then someone could just, leaders could just kind of arbitrarily, if for whatever reason, they don't like what somebody's doing, you say, hey, you're out, you know, you're done. Like you said, you could think of an example, like I, an example comes to my mind of a, I'd read it not long ago of a pastor and uh, his denomination, I think, got involved and intervened because he was using church discipline abusively, or I don't know what you want to say. It was very bad, and it was a personal issue. The person should not have been disciplined. Terrible, horrible, horrible fallout from all of that. But Matthew 18, clearly Jesus' emphasis is restoration. Hmm. And then the fact that it is a process where there are steps, Again, I guess a church leader can just ignore all those steps, but at least they're there. You know, they're presented. Someone can point it out and go like, hey, aren't we supposed to do these steps? And the steps are meant to confirm everything. Let, Like you said, let emotions calm down. Even before you go to someone, let your emotions calm down, forgive them, work through it, so that it's just a reasonable, prolonged working through something. Yeah, especially before you go and share it with somebody else. You want to make sure, I mean... Because it's so easy for us to justify things, you know, and actually we're going to get revenge or we're going, you know, so that our, our side gets heard, you know. You have to have total forgiveness in your heart and then go to somebody. Wow, that's a, that is very well said. I mentioned a minute ago that sometimes when we present discipline, there are members who are scared that it's going to be about them. And so I wanted everyone to know it, it won't take you by surprise. On the other hand... Is there something healthy in that fear? So that's my next question to you. Should people be afraid of church discipline? <laughs> well, it's never pleasant, right? Nobody wants to be in that situation, but you know that discipline comes from love. If you think about, I just think of uh, bad parents that don't discipline their children. They just let things go because... They really don't care. I mean, they're kind of like concerned with themselves and you know, in their own world. Whereas if you really love your child, right, you want to shepherd their heart. You want to, what is causing you to do this? You want to walk through the steps with them. But but also on the, on the flip side, I think about this. So after you've been disciplined, you've learned that lesson. Or like if you've had a relationship severed with someone, and then when it comes back together, how wonderful that is. It's kind of like shame where today... In the wider culture, everyone's just against shame, you know. And I understand that because a lot of people have too much and whatever. And so, like, don't be ashamed. Be yourself. Be proud of who you are. Mm. Don't be ashamed. Where actually, we don't want to be shamed about the wrong things. But there's a healthy shame. There's a healthy shame of sin. And similarly, like with church discipline, this use of authority think, oh, we shouldn't be afraid. This is just Christ taking care of his church. Yes, yes. But listen to 1 Timothy 5.20. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all. That's step three of church discipline. So that the rest may stand in fear. So I do think for those who are sitting there and feel a bit of uh, fear, they might be afraid because they're like, is this going to be about me? No, it's not going to be about you. You'll know about it. But there is something healthy to that fear mm -hmm. that is part of the purpose of church discipline. I have, I've heard it said, you know, I've got a thousand reasons to love my wife. And church discipline is reason 1001. <laughs> Every other reason fails me. I should have a fear that 
I can't get away with it, you know? Yeah. Just good. There's also that fear because we know that we can all empathize, maybe not to the extreme sometimes, because when it comes to the point of discipline, it's usually at an extreme, but we can all empathize with the fact that, you know, we sin, we all sin every day. So it's like, you know, man, if they only knew, you know, what was happening in my heart, right, or my head. It's almost a perfect segue to this next question, because I wanted to ask, like you said, we all do struggle with sin. So why aren't we all being church disciplined all the time? In other words, what makes a difference between someone who gets to steps three and four of church discipline and it's told to the church they're removed from membership? What's the difference between them sinning and us sinning? Because we are sinning too. Mm-hmm. Man, that's good. I remember um, when I first got saved, it was right for my 21st birthday, and I had chain smoked for, I mean, gosh, probably, you know, since I was like a sophomore in high school, a long, long time, heavily addicted to uh, cigarettes. And so after I became a Christian, you know, it took, took a couple of years, but you, I came across this verse about your body being the temple of the Holy Spirit. I just felt like a personal conviction that I was polluting my body with, with cigarettes and, and those around me, you know, my smoking. And so I wanted to quit smoking and it took me, I'm going to say two years. I, I tried and tried and like, I would, I would quit for like a week and then I'd be back. You know what I mean? And it finally took the Lord, actually, if I'm honest, like I just woke up one day after several years and I just realized I hadn't smoked in like three months. Like I, I had forgot to smoke. You got to totally take it away from me. But it's like, should I have been disciplined during that time? Because I was unrepentant in, in a sense, right? Because I was heavily trying to stop, but I wasn't stopping. And, you know, the point there is that I'm actually fighting it and I'm struggling with it and I'm asking friends for help with it. You know, hey, you know, I'm really struggling with this. Could you pray for me? That That is not evidence of an unbeliever. That is evidence of all of us who struggle with sin, but we're trying to battle the sin. Even if you're struggling with it for like 10 years, but you're constantly trying to battle it, you're battling it. That's very well said. And you hit on one of the central points with church discipline, that there's a sense in which we don't do steps three and four of church discipline for people's sin as much as we do it for unrepentance. Mm. That's really what it's about because there are all kinds of sins we struggle with and fall into, and we don't like that one. We don't leap on that with church discipline. I mean, everybody would get kicked out of the church for something. (laughs) So that's not the point. The point is if he doesn't listen, if he refuses to listen, you go to the next step. But if he listens, you won your brother. That's repentance. So if at any step in church discipline you listen, there's repentance. So you committed the sin. You can't undo that, but you listen. You repent, and he says you won your brother, end of church discipline. So you only get to steps three and four, like Jesus says, if he refuses to listen. If he ref- It's an ongoing, over time, refusal to listen that mainly shows itself when you just harden your heart. Most all church discipline, there's a clear sin that's happened. It can be a big or a small sin, but it's happened. It gets confronted. And it's not so much about what the sin is as much as it is the person just won't acknowledge it. Mm -hmm. And so they bring witnesses and they say, yeah, elders are involved. They're saying, this is clearly sin. Here's the Bible verses. And the person is just like, nope, nope. Either I don't care or peace out or they reinterpret it or reality, whatever, to get out of what's confronting them. It has to be a clear sin, not something fuzzy, but it's clear. And so it's really the unrepentance that leads to it. 
Can I ask you, doesn't it also seem like, I can only think of the examples, you know, of the 20 years I've been here, 28 years, whatever. But it seems like every time it's gotten to this point, it's always because it is also harming somebody else in the community of believers. It's not just this person, you know, doing something against himself or herself. It's that now others are involved and you are, you know, you are continuing to harm others and now something has to be done. Yep. And that would be my second point. So the first point is church discipline is not about sin as much as it is unrepentance. And then my second point would be there are two factors that do play into considerations of church discipline. One is harming the local church. And so, for example, Titus 3 says, as for a person who stirs up division, that's in the church, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he's self-contempt. So there's, Paul is saying, let's let's have nothing to do, that's church member discipline, church discipline, and it's because he's stirring up division in the church. I mean, he's threatening to destroy a church. And you also have 2 Timothy 2, avoid irreverent babble, it'll lead people more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene, so false teaching especially. So if you have false teaching, if you have division or false teaching that's hurting the local church or may hurt the local church, that's even sometimes one of the times when we extradite the process mm-hmm. is if it's spreading, it's hurting. So we say we got to move forward quickly. There's actually another factor, though, that plays into why some sin is addressed with church discipline and others doesn't move to three and four. Another factor is the witness of the local church out to those who are outside the church. So if someone is committing a very clear, blatant sin, and it is being seen by unbelievers in the community, so they might commit some felony, or they might be arrested, they're committing some sin that's clear, it's out there, church discipline is also for those cases to preserve the witness of the church. And we see that in 1 Corinthians 5 where Paul, in a case of church discipline, says it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that's not tolerated even among pagans for a man has his father's wife. And that really is Paul. Paul just makes the decision there, remove that person. Mm-hmm. It's unrepentant, remove that person. But it's because of the testimony of the church. You can't keep that man in that church. People are going to see that church and go, oh, you know who goes in, you know, mm-hmm. and they're welcome in. He's involved in ministry, and there he is, like, in that case, you were talking about beating his kids, you know, doing whatever. So those are two factors that also differentiate when we kind of push on the gas pedal forward in church discipline. Again, even in those cases, if there's genuine repentance, there's restoration. So those aren't like you're doomed, but we do move forward with church discipline for those. The last question I have for you here, Mike, is since a lot of churches don't practice church discipline, and since it is a kind of scary, hard, con- it's controversial, some people might be tempted to just avoid it altogether. So how important is church discipline? And maybe one way to approach that question is to say, if we just as a church stopped doing it, what would be the consequences? <laughs> so if we as a church decided to stop following a passage of Scripture in the Bible... <laughs> we have to become faith church. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can't be how, faith Bible how church. How important would that be, right? <laughs> yeah. 
We see something clearly spelled out, but yet we decide, oh, I think we know better than God in this one, and we're going to do it. You know, we don't really care about the witness of the church to the world. We don't really care, you know, these uh, doctrines that and these uh, guidelines that God has spelled out for his, his church, his, you know, testimony here on planet Earth. How important is that? Well, I think that's pretty obvious, don't you? Yep. <laughs> well said, Mike. <laughs> yeah, and, and with that, uh, the purity of the church, hmm. divisions within the church, false teaching within the church, church discipline's unpleasant. But even thinking over our history of faith Bible, the very few times we've done church discipline to steps three and four, those were matters where if they were not addressed, would have led to division, would have led to ongoing harm, would have hurt the testimony of the church. There would be all kinds of damage. Other people would be affected. And so church disciplines obedience, and it's also wisdom that Christ has given for how to protect the church. Now, you listening to this might still have your reservations about church discipline and think that's a scary, authoritative type of a thing. Or maybe church discipline is just not something you've thought about before. But whatever the case in the past, may God help us all now to think this way. Thank you.